everyone. I'm Georgia Gerard, guest hosting the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast today. Steve Sullivan will be joining us. He's a VA chaplain working with the VA Mental Health and Chaplaincy out of the Vision 6 Myrex in Durham. Um, Steve is the implementation lead for the community clergy training um, to support rural veterans mental health program today. And today we'll be discussing this program. Um, so welcome, Steve. Thanks for being here. Thanks for asking me to come. Glad to be here with you, Georgia. Looking Thank forward you. to this. <laughs> so, um, Steve, some of our listeners may not be aware that over 6 million veterans live in rural areas, and approximately one in five rural veterans experience mental health issues, and suicide rates are also significantly higher compared to non-rural veteran populations. So we're very excited to have you join us today to learn more about this program that is supporting our rural veterans. Um, but before we get started, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with the VA Clergy Partnership for Rural Veterans? Sure. It's uh, kind of, I guess, a unique story, not exactly what you expect of a chaplain's journey. But I was a divorced Baptist minister living in Arkansas, where I'm from, for several years. So I kind of gotten out of the ministry in the 90s and, and uh, got back into it through chaplaincy. Started working part-time as a chaplain and decided that was a good niche for me. And so I started working for the VA uh, part-time, just taking on call whenever I could. And opportunity came up that uh, the the Myrick there in, in Little Rock, the Business 16 Myrick, uh, Greer Sullivan had an idea about a pilot program to train clergy in rural areas to help veterans and asked if uh, any one of us chaplains could would join her. So um, I did. And it was just a part-time thing down in South Arkansas. We started training clergy um, to help veterans. It kind of morphed into just everybody coming on board uh, to support veterans in these rural areas. Um, the program grew and got connected with the National Chaplain Center and their clergy training program. And VA Clergy Partnership for Rural Veterans really is this kind of um, ongoing cab structure. We'll talk more about community action boards in a little bit, I'm sure. But it's kind of the after, after the training, what do we do now part of CCTP or the community clergy training program. So anyway, got hooked up with them. Things seemed to work. We began to spread and became a promising practice. Uh, we're funded by the Office of Rural Health and have always been funded by them. So that brings us to here today, I guess. That's really helpful. And um, you mentioned the Community Clergy Training Program. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit more about what that is, the um, program to support rural veteran mental health? Sure. Basically, we have now, I think, about 22 VA chaplains across the country that we have trained to go out and hold what we call uh, viewing events or training events. Um, they're interactive trainings with four modules that cover everything from uh, the first one's military culture and the wounds of war. Uh, then it's pastoral care of veterans and their families. The third module is mental health referral and resources. And the module that I, I do is building community partnerships. And so we do those training events out in rural areas all over the country, uh, trying to help um, clergy and whoever, lay people, whoever come to these events to really engage veterans in their rural communities, both in their congregations and out in the community at large. So that's that's been pretty much the training program in a nutshell. Uh, that sounds like such a great way to reach some of these rural veterans that may not necessarily be close to a VA um, or a you know outpatient clinic. So what uh, are... Uh, kind of gave a great overview of what the program is, but what are some of maybe the specific goals or what is the program really aimed to achieve? Yeah, well, there's a few things that 
that we really target. One is just to teach clergy how to better care for veterans. I mean, we're not necessarily saying referring to mental health or, you know, they just be in your congregation to make it a place of belonging, a place where they feel safe, um, and just be able to interact with them, not as some special population that they're afraid of, but just as somebody in their congregation who's a real person like everybody else and going through struggles that may be unique and being able to provide that spiritual and community care in their congregation. Uh, we also realize there's limitations when you encounter pastors tend, tend to think or others think that they have to be able to, to fix everything or to know about a wide range of things. And we know that some of these veteran-specific issues like PTSD and uh, even a traumatic brain injury or just other military-related uh, problems and struggles may be over a pastor's head or a layperson's head. So we want to teach them how to refer, how to put them face-to-face with, a, with somebody that they can refer to either in the VA for mental health or in the community for mental health, if that's what they prefer. I guess the third goal is kind of, you know, my angle of this whole uh, project is is getting people to come together in the community to make a difference and stay together, build relationships, and really kind of change the way we take care of veterans in our communities, particularly rural communities. So those are those are probably our three main goals for the program. And I definitely think having this connection to your community can really help as veterans are transitioning back into, um, you know, with their family units and within their community. And we know that this transition time when they're reintegrating to civilian life can be really stressful and a difficult time um, for some veterans. And previous research has shown that this time in life may also lead to an increased risk for suicide. So how has CCTP tried to address some of these challenges veterans face? while readjusting to civilian life and also including how are they helping kind of address suicide risk within this population? Right. Well, we kind of start off our, most of our trainings begin with, um, first of all, begin with a veteran testimony. We have somebody get up from the local community and just let them speak for five to 10 minutes on their own experience and, you know, what it's been like to go to military, go uh, be deployed, come back and how, what worked, what didn't, and kind of just kind of let them see a real life person from the get-go so they can begin to understand some of these reintegration difficulties. And then we begin in Module 1 talking about military culture and not so much like branches and ranks and things like that, but just how military people think differently than civilians, uh, value things differently than civilians, and how that can cause problems you know, in a relationship. Uh, we also talk about the deployment cycle and how that affects families and affects veterans. So we, we try to treat that in our trainings and having real-life veterans at those trainings who can share and kind of echo those experiences has really been an eye-opener for a lot of our clergy. Um, I think also we're trying to move uh, to an, kind of an upstream as far as suicide prevention. We we do two things. We have suicide prevention coordinators who often come and make themselves available at our at our events and may speak for a little bit, may even cover some of their suicide prevention training. Um, but I think we kind of do more of an upstream approach where we're trying to have clergy build those relationships with veterans in advance before they get to a crisis. You know, so it's not always just trying to prevent them from committing suicide. Uh, I think we've done a really good job in, in the VA with with this goal line defense, kind of the way I look at it, of this, you know, helping people get care with a crisis line or with, through gun locks, you know, or at the point where they might be willing to, you know, harm themselves. But it's we're, we're on the goal line defense is good, but we're not getting field position. We're not getting an offense as much. We we need to kind of move towards, um, in addition to suicide prevention or intervention, move towards life promotion. And I think that really resonates with a lot of the clergy that we talk to because that's something they can wrap their head around. You know, okay, that's what we're about is 
abundant life or whatever. And so they may not know how to handle crisis situations as well. And we do try to teach them how to handle those crisis situations when they arise and, and who to refer to. But we also want them providing, uh, promoting life, providing positive options for for veterans in their congregation, in their community, so that they're waking up thinking about life, not just thinking about not dying, if that makes any sense. Um, so those are some of the specific ways I think that we're talking about readjustment and suicide prevention. And we do that through our community action boards, too, because it's a place for veterans to, to plug in and to give back to maybe to younger generations of uh, service members. And so those would be the ways that we would really address um, suicide prevention and readjustment. I really like um, that term, um, life promotion. I think that's a really great way to kind of be thinking about this more upstream approach that this program is taking um, versus, you know, addressing crises when they happen, trying to prevent them in the first place and really focusing on living life to its fullest. And, and I really like that term you've been using, the life promotion. I think that's a really wonderful way to be thinking about this program, too. So you mentioned um, briefly the community advisory boards or the, the CABs. Do you have anything um, else to share about kind of the role and function of those within this program? Yeah, the way they came about, they were not planned. Our grant specifically didn't wasn't designed to create what we call CABs. But what, how it came about is we had really challenges getting clergy to come and stay involved and, and dedicate the time. But we had other people that came and said, wow, I've got this grant. I'm supposed to be working with the veteran population. Can I come to, you, can I come to your meetings? And and family members and veteran service officers and organizations. So what kind of emerged is what we call community action boards. They meet once a month uh, in several rural areas. I think we've got about a dozen that are that are up and mo going right now with more that are trying to get started. Um, most of them uh, are in Arkansas, but we now have about five other states where we're creating cabs as well. And I, I guess the thing about part of this that kind of makes it unique is this is, you know, we have the training events in these communities and we have a series of them ideally uh, they, these clergy and these communities start getting together, but then after we leave and you know move on to the next town or whatever, what happens? What happens then? And so hopefully we're throughout these training events, we're gradually laying groundwork for these community action boards to then take off and 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 kind of lead themselves uh, subsequent to the training. They're able to then practice what they learn, build these relationships, and actually refer individual veterans uh, that might meet care. They know the community resources uh, in their own community, so. These, these groups are interesting because they become self-led and kind of self-directed, come up with their own unique identity uh, based on who was willing to volunteer to support them. And then we have, a, you know, try to have a presence of the VA chaplain or someone from the VA to attend these meetings and provide the VA support that we need and, and also be a resource for referrals. So that's that's kind of how the, um, the cabs work, I guess. Uh, they have some really clever ideas. Some of them are doing like a... Yellow out every year in in uh, late October, early November. They have the high schools do a yellow out to honor veterans. The kids, I didn't think it would work, but they actually dress in yellow and do a halftime tribute to veterans, and then give out deployment information, anything related to VA services. We usually have a table and you know an outreach kind of presence through those. Some have done uh, fixed uh, food on the weekends, the drill weekends for the troops. So fixed breakfast, and that gets the, the cab members working together side by side, and some of those differences uh, kind of dissipate because we have diverse cab membership, which makes things interesting, as you might imagine. Um, so anyway, those are that's a little bit about the community action boards and what they do, and in addition to just helping individual veterans get the care that they need that's community-specific. 
Yeah, no, it definitely seems like you're giving them all the tools. Like you mentioned, all these trainings are kind of leading them to be independent after they are trained and then can continue on kind of without the support of your program because they've made it their own. And then also really creating these events within their community to also get other community members involved. I think that this is a great way to really have the veterans within their community feel welcomed and, and feeling like they're reintegrating back into their community. It seems like there might be some maybe examples of how the CABS or the clergy partnership rural veterans have helped these um, rural veterans seek treatment. Do you have a maybe a real-life example of something that you can share of a success story? Um, and then obviously to protect whoever you're speaking about, just kind of leaving their name out of it. But do you have a real-life example that you wouldn't, that you could share with us? Sure. Um, yeah, I think um, uh, one particular veteran that we worked with that touches on a lot of what the Community Action Board's NCCTP is about, uh, this particular veteran, let's just call him Robert, um, I received a phone call from Robert's dad saying, hey, somebody in our community gave me your number to help me with my son. Uh, he's got PTSD really bad. Um, I don't think anything's going to help him. I can't get him to get out of the house. He's now in the hospital at the VA, you can see him if you want to. But what happened was one of our, I still even know who, one of our community action board members or someone who went through a CCTP training with us in that community had my gotten my number and had given it to this uh, gentleman who was very upset about what was going on with his son and their fractured relationship. So I met with this veteran uh, on the inpatient unit and discovered pretty quickly that his issues were not just PTSD, but they were more spiritual in nature, uh, guilt and shame that he had experienced from some of the things he had done and seen while he was in Iraq. So I was able to support with him as I would any veteran uh, as a VA chaplain. But then upon his release, uh, because of the relationships that we had built um, through what we call pew and couch lunches in this particular community, I was able to, to contact the, his local CBOC mental health therapist and make her aware of his condition. He was you know, in the VA, and I spoke with uh, Robert, got permission to make that connection. We were able to then jointly care for him, set up regular appointments with him in his own community with the CBOC. In addition, we have a pastor or, or several pastors that are, have been vetted, that have been through our trainings, that have worked with us, that are wanting to help veterans. And I was able to give him the name of a, of a couple of pastors or give a name of one pastor, and we're going to give him a name of another uh, very soon who can help who then contacted him to offer that spiritual support, a community-based spiritual support. I was then able to go back to talk to Robert's dad and update him on what was going on, and then just kind of all the parts kind of worked together in this scenario, I think, to help a veteran who really was in crisis, who was, you know, already getting some kind of treatment but was missing this community, spiritual, ongoing, face-to-face -face kind of um, support that I believe that he needed. That's a really lovely example to kind of show how the VA and the community can really partner to make sure that all these needs that this, this particular veteran had were being addressed, not just, you know, the mental health needs, but also the spiritual needs and kind of having a more holistic approach to treating them. So I think that's a really great example. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, uh, it's probably helpful for our listeners to kind of hear how this is working in practice. Yeah, Georgia, there's another example, too, real quickly of a little different nature I think has been really effective. We had one Air Force veteran that came to our uh, cab meetings early on, sat there very quiet, somewhat cynical. and But over the years, he kind of got involved in helping veterans. He became a um, 
the chaplain at his local DAV and really transformed that DAV into a, a one-stop shop for veterans in that community and, and some, in some cases all over the state to help support them through their getting benefits and doing things that as a chaplain working within the hospital system, we I really couldn't do. And so now that, that person has become a referral resource for us for mental health treatment and other things on the VA side that he can't provide, but yet he's able to support the veterans through his benefit knowledge. And so that's another way that I kind of see in the growth of this older veteran um, into, into someone who's really engaged in helping veterans and seeing that he can make a difference. Yeah, thank you for providing that example too. And are there any other ways that you see that this partnership and advisory boards might be helpful to rural veterans? I know you've provided a lot of examples of how this is working, but any other ways that you see this um, being helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's a it's a place for them to serve. I mean, half of our cab members are veterans themselves, I'd say, and so um, they can come, they can serve. That some of them say, I don't want the younger generation to go through what I went through, or I don't want you know the spouses, the families to go through what we went through. That those kind of things, just a chance for them to serve and to give back in serving other veterans. You know, one case we had provide a wheelchair ramp for a younger veteran, so people could kind of get on board with that. Uh, places to plug them in uh, to serve. It's also a way for them to get connected to VA and to VBA. I mean, I've had some older veterans that come to these meetings. One of them said, man, after hearing about PTSD, I guess you're right. My my wife's right. I've got it. I guess I better get care myself. So we've had several of them get care themselves um, into VA and into the veteran benefits that they have coming. And I think one of the unique things about the Community Action Board's I don't think there's any other place where they can have a safe place to be themselves and still be around civilians. You know, we hear so much about veterans will talk to other veterans, and there's a lot of veteran support groups that are made up of veterans, but there's not that many places where civilians can come alongside these veterans and provide a safe place over time for them to be themselves and share these concerns. And for civilians to take, you know, the community to take some of that burden off of them, take some responsibility for it and be able to offer that, you know, that reconciliation and that reintegration. So I think those are good places for, for cab members to touch veterans' lives and just the getting together every month and talking and building relationships. Yeah, that definitely sounds very unique to this program. And yeah, just like you were saying, there are a lot of veteran support groups out there where they're speaking with other veterans, but then are missing that connection piece to the community they're living in too. And um, it's probably helpful for community members to also be educated through these um, action boards, kind of the issues that veterans face when they're coming back and reintegrating into their communities. So it definitely is something very unique to that program. And I know getting programs started and kind of continuing the implementation of them can be difficult sometimes. So what are some of the challenges you face and seek to overcome while implementing this program? Yeah, we've had our fair share of barriers because of the uniqueness of this program. I think the first one we encountered was just how hard it is to get clergy to come to a training. Even beyond that, even harder to get them to get connected and get involved in something like a community action board. I guess I was kind of under the assumption that, wow, this is, people want to support our troops. This is a great program. You know, we'll really push it out. And we did. We had, we've had uh, pretty consistent clergy attendance and involvement to a point. You know, some of them really are eager to, but many of them are just too busy. They've got too much going on. And so you've had to uh, adopt and just say, hey, send a layperson, you know, somebody in your church, a veteran, and kind of go become more inclusive of the entire faith community rather than just clergy. 
you know, and now we're just kind of a motto saying we're just looking for a few good clergy. You know, there may be several clergy that we train that, to be more aware of veteran issues, but they're not going to be maybe aggressive in trying to reach out to veterans in the way that some some clergy have the time and, and the passion to do, especially if they have some family member that's a veteran or they're a veteran themselves. So that's been one barrier is getting clergy involved over a long period of time and make that time commitment with all their time constraints. Another uh, barrier we face is the willingness to support veterans plural as opposed to a veteran singular. By that, I mean everybody. We've really run into no opposition with any of the clergy or faith groups and communities about supporting veterans. Yeah, that's a great idea. We want to do that. And when we're as a society, we're really good about bumper stickers and yellow ribbons and halftime tributes and commercials uh, supporting veterans in their homecoming. But when it comes to that individual veteran, who really is in a dark place, who is skeptical of the VA, skeptical of the community, um, maybe skeptical about the military, anyone. And to be able to hang in there with them and build that relationship and keep responding to those texts, keep connecting them to somebody else who might help them, that's really been a challenge. And there's there's been very few. There have been some, but there's been very few uh, clergy and communities uh, and, and congregations that were willing to get committed on that level. So that's been a barrier. Um, another barrier comes from the veteran perspective. They, one of the symptoms of PTSD is isolation and avoidance. So a lot of times we'll equip cl clergy or somebody to help veterans. They're excited, and I go, okay, where do I go to find one? You know, it's sometimes they're not even aware that they have veterans in their congregations, or and they don't really recognize them in their communities. They, the veterans often are wearing what we call a civilian camouflage. They're just you are they're isolated. Uh, either alone and isolated from the community or even in the community isolated. So it makes them hard to find, hard to connect uh, to those that we're training to, su to support them. Uh, those are the, the primary uh, barriers, I guess, that we've uh, he we've encountered, Georgia. And, and have there been any ways that you've um, kind of addressed some of these barriers, like the time commitment and, or trying to get people dressed veteran population as a whole versus the singular veteran you're talking about, any ways you kind of kind of problem solved any of those barriers? Yeah, you know, I mentioned with the clergy that we had emphasized the importance of lay people and had a broader target there with the faith communities. And I think getting them to understand a veteran, one way is, is like I mentioned with our trainings, having a veteran get up there and be themselves not with no talking points you know, no holes barred, putting a veteran in front of them and helping them to see that really is a, a big hook for pastors and they can see a face or a name. And then just being willing, we, in some cases we've had some veterans that or some clergy that we've uh, we've vetted and we've worked with and we're able to connect them through a CBOC and one, one in particular where if she encounters um, moral injury or spiritual issues uh, in her treatment, she's able to go to those individual pastors and say, hey, you know, I've got somebody here, and through getting permission to them, she's able to hand off those names and, and make those contacts. So that's one way we've done that. I will say one major challenge that we face um, that I didn't mention, Georgia, was just the change that we're trying to bring about in the VA culture and in that, that paradigm of how the VA relates to the community. For so long, and even myself, when I started this program, you know, my, my mindset was, hey, we're going to go out to the community or to these clergy find veterans who have mental health issues, get them into the VA where we can take care of them and make them okay again. And that's really been a shift in my own mindset. And what we're trying to do now is go into these communities and not say, hey, you know, let's bring them to the VA to get them reintegrated. We don't want them reintegrated in the VA. We want them reintegrated into the community. And we want the VA to be a part of that community, come alongside that community 
to help that reintegration take place. I mean, there's, you know, anytime I go in the community, obviously with BA being so large, I hear all kinds of stories and critiques. Many of them are le legitimate, but I remind them that before 1930, there was no VA and people all over the world, somebody was doing that reintegration. So I want to see communities come alongside, take responsibility, more responsibility for these veterans and for the VA to realize that, no, they can't do it all. They're just one part, one member of this community uh, where they can work together to support these veterans. So changing that paradigm, as you might imagine, is challenging when, when the VA is really organized around veterans coming to receive care for specific things and, and not so much organized to engage communities on the level that we're challenging them to do so. Yeah, and especially, you know, being a VA employee and trying to see outside of that, too, can be really difficult sometimes. Um, that sure, sure. It's so important when you are, you know, a VA employee, and we want to be able to offer, you know, everything that we can, but it's, it is very important that we continue to partner with our communities, especially for rural veterans, um, you know, knowing that VAs might be very far away from them, too, and they just might be more, you know, isolated, you know, location-wise. So it's really Right, important. right, and not... And not just that, I think there's stigma, there's greater stigma around mental health in these rural areas. I had one veteran that said, look, I'll come, I'll come meet with you, but I, I do not want to park my truck in front of that clinic. I'll go to the next county if I have to. So there's that stigma, and there's stigma in churches still, too, and other congregations um, that we happen to address. So I think the rural aspect of it makes it particularly relevant that we make aggressive efforts towards this reintegration. And that's why the Office of Rural Health is made this project a promising practice and, and mm -hmm. seeking to implement it in uh in more broadly yeah and, and because it is our, our promising practice it's our understanding that it continues to expand across the u.s and our territories um, with 22 va chaplains and over 50 army reserve chaplains trained as program facilitators so what are some other results you've seen come out of this project and maybe what are some future goals for the program Okay, I think that you know one thing that that we uh, have done in addition to just to our, to our trainings and training those facilitators, we we have created webinars that we do at least quarterly um, for clergy that have been through our trainings. We've developed a database of about three thousand folks that we've trained. Most of them are clergy chaplains. Some are mental health. Some are just regular community people, part of nonprofits or service organizations. So we have this broad database that we're able to to invite to attend our webinars. Uh, we have a um, clergy connection, which is a newsletter that's designed specifically for clergy. It's really reader friendly uh, for clergy. It addresses military and veteran issues. Um, I think we've been able to to really strengthen relationships with other partners like the Army Reserves, the National Guard, some the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, some community. Organizations we work really closely and, and built some bridges with the family support services people on the ground and local levels through their family assistance centers. So that's some of the some of the um, things that we've really been able to accomplish in addition to just the training and the creation of the cabs. And I guess in the future we really want to strengthen relationships with local VAs. I think some of our chaplains that are working out there they're getting this funding, but the funding is is there for them to do veter uh, veteran related training events, sometimes in their catchment area and sometimes outside their catchment area. So our, one of our goals is to try to do site visits with leadership um, and even with fiscal people because, you know, they need to be kind of aware of how this unique program works and just get out there and say, hey, thank you for being a part of this program. Your chaplain's doing a great job. We want you to know he did this much or she did this much in the last 
uh, year or the last quarter, and how can we help you know support you and 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 let folks know that this this particular VA hospital has ownership of this program too. I think that's going to be absolutely necessary if we're going to be able to get chaplains in all 50 states, which is really one of the goals that we want to do is to have someone in each state who can target and focus on that one state, uh, and then hopefully to have uh, at least one cab. Um, community Action Board created in each state. So that's another goal that we have. And to get there, I think we need to learn from our chaplains that are doing well. We've got uh, seven or eight that are just, this is a niche for them, kind of like me. The passion kicked in once they got out in the community and saw, you know, what a difference it could make. And so they're really doing a great job and going to places. And once you do one training event, you get three more references of people that want to do it in their area or with their congregation. So we want to learn from them. How are they doing this? And how can we help our other chaplains to, to achieve that level? Or how can we identify in the future chaplains that we know, hey, this person's you know more suited to work in the community maybe than in the hospital setting. So how can we uh, equip them to do that? We've got most chaplains do a great job and, and in the hospital, and that's their niche. And so for folks that don't really, they don't, that's where they want to minister, then let's let them do that. But for those that have this passion or have this, you know, flexibility or willingness to work out in the community and build some relationships, let's give them an opportunity to do that too because it's just as vital as what our chaplains are doing inside the hospital. So we're working with the Office of Rural Health and the National Chaplain Center, uh, you know, the sponsors of this program to do just that. Um, so that's kind of our plan for the future is to try to take this maybe to the next level without losing that individual focus on small rural communities and on individual veterans out there that need the support and connection that they may not be getting. Well, this is such a wonderful program, and I'm really excited to kind of see how it grows in the coming years, and, um, you know, maybe we'll get one out in Denver soon. <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time today to share with us and our listeners about this really important program. Um, but, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know or anything else about the program that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, just just that we're um, we're hopefully coming coming to a rural area near you, we, or even in Denver. We are doing some training events in Colorado Springs with the mental health and chaplaincy, um, some clergy training and mental health and clergy events there. So we will be in Colorado. We have already done one event in Colorado Springs for CCTP. So we're we're working together with with folks here at mental health and chaplaincy and the National Chaplain Center and the Office of Rural Health to try to get out there and support you guys. We know it's difficult. We know you have a lot of, if you're inside the VA, you've got your set of responsibilities and come 430, you want to think about something else, we get that. But if anybody is out there and in the community wants to connect with the community, I just want to encourage you to not be afraid to do the wrong thing, but just get out there and, and do something, build relationships. Uh, our veterans are not as fragile as you think, and, and if you just allow them, admit your ignorance and allow your willingness to to listen to them, they'll talk to you, they'll engage with you, whether you're a veteran or not, and they'll appreciate the community uh, reaching out to them and taking responsibility. So I just encourage people to do that and help us challenge this, uh, you know, this paradigm where VA is isolated and separate from the communities in which we serve. I guess I would just uh, want to thank you for letting letting me be here with you and, and cast this pod. Uh, I guess uh, I would end with a, a quote by Wendell Berry that I often use that simply says, if we send them, we must mend them. So thanks again. Appreciate it, Georgia. Really appreciate you being here today. And that's all we have for the RMIREC Short Takes podcast today. We appreciate you for listening. 
Listeners, you can learn more about the VA Clergy Partnership for Rural Veterans by clicking on the links accompanying this podcast. You can also reach out to us if you have any comments or questions about what we discussed today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, and share with colleagues. Join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention. Thanks for joining us today on the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. The podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Rocky Mountain MIREC for Veteran Suicide Prevention out of the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Colorado. Be sure to visit our website at www.myrec.va.gov slash visa19. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, head over to your favorite podcasting app to subscribe and give us a rating and spread the word. Tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. Our mission is to prevent suicide and to help veterans build meaningful lives. And when you listen to our show, you see the possibilities. Thank you.